chapter 10, uh, verses 32 to 39. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and, pers- and preserve their souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Colin. Good morning, everybody. Uh, <clears throat> it's been a while since I've been up here for a lot of reasons, um, but I look forward, kind of a pleasure to look into the Lord's word. So let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you give us this great privilege to handle your word, to look into what it is you would like us to see and to embrace and to know and to live from your word. And so we pray, Father, as we look at it today, we would see relevance, we would see application, we would see challenges, we would see words from today's passage that would encourage us and enable us to persevere in a difficult world for believers. So we ask your blessing on this time. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Not to well, but the announcement you saw of the new baby uh, caused a stir in our home because we had agreed that when uh, Sarah felt that time was arrived, uh, give us a call. We'd run and look after Keithy till they figured things out. That call came at quarter to five this morning. (laughs) In his rush to leave, Ackway locked the door so my wife couldn't get in. She had to drive to the IWK, get the key. She thought it was the wrong key, couldn't open the door. Meanwhile, Kiki's inside. And as all this is playing out, I keep getting text messages, text messages. I said, Patty, I I need to get some sleep. I am speaking today. And after we sorted all of that out, she did get in. Kiki's fine, no worries there. Ackway sent, or uh, Ronick sends me a text. Hey Dave, got the video ready for you. And I thought, you know, it's just gonna be one of those days where when I get up there, it's gonna be, what it's going to be. (laughs) So um, if I yawn or if I appear to need to stretch, I just wanted to explain why. It's been a long day already. I also wanted to begin, I watched uh, John Newton's message from last week, which is, uh, um, uh, he was handed a a tough one, and uh, he called it for mature audiences only, and the reality is I'm doing part two of that message, so uh, it's Mature Audiences Part Two. We're dealing with some difficult topics, but as I always said, as you know, I'm a Sunday school teacher, and I always told the the children in Sunday school that 
No question is going to be avoided. No question is too difficult. The only thing I say is when I give the answer, as difficult as it may be, you have to handle that as well. And we had a good agreement and we, we did uh, quite well. So I'm taking the same approach with this. In um, Hebrews, we read this morning from chapter 10, verses 32 to 39. And uh, it is important, I think, as we tackle some of these topics that we remember the purpose of the epistle to the Hebrews. I, I actually would argue it's incredibly important. We remember why this epistle was written. It is to proclaim to a group, as John mentioned last week, people were falling away, the church was struggling, um, some people had stopped going. It's important we remember as we see the Bible giving us challenging comments that Jesus Christ is supreme. That Jesus Christ is supreme and ruler over all things. The supremacy of Jesus Christ taught in Hebrews delivers the answers to every difficulty, the solution to every problem, consolation for perplexing situations in life, and the cure to backsliding, apostasy, and failure. It is important that we hold on to that overview of Hebrews as we understand why it was written as we tackle, as John did last week, a couple of difficult topics today. So up to chapter 10, Hebrews had been delivering a lot of warnings. The old ways may give us a path to the promised land, it taught, but Hebrews is stressing that the supremacy of Jesus gives us rest in that promised land. God's grace may lead us to salvation, but understanding the supremacy of Jesus Christ brings us into a mature relationship with God. The supremacy of Jesus Christ is what gives us peace and hope. Throughout Hebrews, the supremacy of Jesus is taught as a better way that surpasses and overrides Old Testament views and beliefs. And there are six key points that Hebrews wants us to take away, and today we're tackling one of them. How to manage the great fight of persecution and encouragement to persevere. Today's passage, dealing with affliction, and we saw in the, in the passage read, the plundering of our belongings and things like that, is incredibly relevant for us today. And I'm sure some of you say, well, I haven't had my belongings plundered. I haven't dealt with this or dealt with that. But I do believe it is relevant, and I'll explain why. Having, um, or sorry, uh, perseverance means persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. The word is typically used in a positive way to refer to the quality of someone who doesn't give up. A person who keeps trying despite major challenges and setbacks is said to show perseverance. The NIV says a person who perseveres, the NIV translation, by the way, says a person who perseveres is one who stands their ground in a contest filled with suffering. In Egypt, and we're going to take a little look in a minute, because in Sunday school I like to show a lot of video, so we're going to see a video in a minute, and it's going to show us what life is like in Egypt. <clears throat> um, for the Christian community, which has faced incredible, fierce persecution from a hostile Muslim majority 
including the government and law enforcement, they have no escape. After the election of the Muslim Brotherhood several years ago, it was open season for burning churches and frankly, killing people. The culmination of this persecution reached an unprecedented level in 2011 when the government brutally massacred 27 Christians and injured more than 300 in downtown Cairo. This was seen around the globe, was condemned by governments, all governments in the West, human rights groups, but what they did, nothing. Little to no action was taken to bring persecuted Christians to the West as refugees. They're trapped, persecuted, forgotten. So what did they do? What would they do? They're prevented from going to church. The government made it almost impossible. They defied the authorities and they planned a prayer meeting in a cave converted to a church. Pretty hard to burn down a cave. As word spread, 70,000 people showed up from a variety of Christian backgrounds. Ronnie, do you want to show the video? Thanks, Ronick. That gives you a, a glimpse of how persecuted Christians are gathering in a place like Cairo 
Uh, here are, here, here's one line from what they're singing. They live in the garbage city. He is defeating his foes. We are winning with his testimony and his shed blood. They feel like winners. 70,000 people show up persecuted and they're singing about being winners. Why? Because of what they're focused on. So how do we capture that type of strength and ability to persevere in our Western, affluent, rich culture? How can we live like winners like they do? The Hebrews were encouraged to figure this out, and so are we today. How can we persevere when facing roadblocks and persecution? The first thing we need to do, we're asked in the passage, is we need to remember. The writer first takes us back to a time when these Hebrew believers paid, and it talked about in the passage, a horrendous cost for their beliefs. When suffering for our beliefs, the Bible often begins by asking us to remember. In Revelation, Jesus tells the church at Ephesus to remember. You have persevered and you have endured hardship, he says, for my name and have not grown weary. John goes on to record, though, this. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Perseverance in and of itself can be an admirable trait. But if all we have is perseverance, frankly, we have an empty faith. We're like rebels without a cause. People can work at a job they dislike and persevere. We admire people who don't give up. But lack of purpose makes persevering hard work and joyless. The Christian counterculture that we are a part of can be seen as out of touch and lacking purpose. Jesus is telling the Ephesians we need to remember why we persevere. We don't persevere because we're committed. We don't commit ourselves to a cause or some issue of the day or cultural relevancy. We persevere because we are followers of Jesus Christ, full stop. That's why we persevere. That's the reason. That is it. No matter what happens to us, we are persistent in holding true to our faith and we expect nothing in this life in return. Our reward, as the passage mentioned, will be in heaven for those who are faithful until the end. In order to persevere and move forward in any situation, it is not good to dwell on the past. It isn't. Forgetting and forgiving the wrongs committed against us is key to being able to persevere and grow as Christians. Yet the writer to these Hebrews is telling them and us to remember, but with a difference. Remember what it was like when we were first saved, they write. Remember that glow of salvation. Remember what it felt like to know total, complete peace. Remember, he says, the height that we had achieved when we first believed in Revelation and the height, that height, that the Ephesians had fallen from. If we remember what Jesus has done for us, we can face and be victorious and live like winners over persecution. We can be persistent and persevere. We feel like winners and we will not be defeated. 
For these Hebrews, remembering the gospel was remembering how they had been set free. No longer was the yoke of the Pharisees and legalism making them religious slaves. Under the old system, they were very religious people, but they were lost. Now they are experiencing the joy of freedom in Jesus Christ and the need to be reminded of that first conversion experience. But they're also told to forget. I'm currently reading Andrew Miller's three-part series on church history. It's written from an evangelical uh, biblical perspective. And I think like John Newton, if he's reading guys like Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, I like reading old stuff. And this book series is old. The first 400 years of history in his books details the 10 great persecutions by Roman emperors against the Christian church. And it makes for some really sad reading. Sad reading because not only were the Christians persecuted horribly by Roman pagans, but churches were divided. In each outbreak of tribulation, some Christians fled and hid. Some became apostates. I don't know who Jesus is. Some aligned with the government. Some bore false witness, and some took advantage to make themselves richer. But a large number stood their ground. Those faithful Christians experienced prison, loss of personal property, loss of families that in some cases were sold into slavery, and many were killed in horrible ways. The targeted ones were often the leaders, the wealthiest, and the strongest members of the local churches, which caused a vacuum in leadership when the persecution was over. Eventually, though, it would be over. It would all end, and somehow the damage and the hurt needed to be repaired. How do you deal with someone who stole your property? How do you deal with someone who wants to come back to church who sold your kids into slavery? Well, big questions. It started with forgiving and forgetting. Some Western Christians have often forgotten our first calling, mentioned to the Ephesians, and one of the consequences is we trust a lot in the West in wealth and government for our provisions and our freedom. This misplacement of who is our protector and provider is causing the Western church, in my opinion, to stumble. And one area is meeting as Christians for worship mentioned earlier in Hebrews. During the persecutions of the second and third centuries, gathering as believers was a line in the sand early Christians did not cross. In Canada, some have crossed that line while others didn't. And I'm not taking sides. I'm not making an opinion. I have no opinion. I'm not saying one is right. I'm not saying one is wrong. It's a matter of conscience or however people want to argue their position. But what I am saying, and I think we need to talk about it, is it left divisions. Some early surveys are suggesting up to a third of church membership in some local churches have left because of how COVID rules were implemented. People were not aligned in large numbers. This was an issue for the Hebrews as well, and it's why it's being discussed here. So now they had divisions, and we have divisions in the Western church. How do we heal them? If the goal is unity, we must heal those divisions. Well, we move forward by forgetting. The persecuted Christians in the second to fourth centuries did exactly that. They forgave and they forgot the people who plundered their goods. They forgave and they forgot the people who broke up their family. They forgave 
and they forgot the people who had turned their back on the Lord Jesus Christ for the sake of bringing the church back together and unifying it. I can't imagine that, personally. I can't imagine forgiving someone who took my house away from me. I can't. I'm being honest. But they did. They moved on. The apostates often repented and were forgiven. In most cases, the persecution, persecuted Christians were restored by a new government. The principle of church unity was preserved. And in order to persevere as a church today, I think we need to revisit that type of unity. We need to forget the areas where we may, we may have hurt someone, hurt each other, where we disagreed. The Coptic Church is doing that. The Coptic Church stood up to the persecution from the Muslim Brotherhood by doing what? Getting 70,000 people to show up at a prayer meeting. They are persevering in Egypt because they are united. They are standing their ground and the church is growing in the face of persecution because they know who is in charge. They know that Jesus is supreme and they are united under the lordship of that supremacy. They are living like winners and that attitude speaks to the lost people around them, to the non-Christians. So the church in Egypt, despite what we see there, is growing. When this letter was written, it was the responsibility of family and friends to look after people in prison. They would deliver food, medical attention, and companionship. These acts exposed them to persecution, even if they didn't agree with what the fellow person in prison, the fellow Christian, may have done. So it would have seemed odd to these Hebrew Christians who gave up so much for their fellow believers in prison, even the ones they disagreed with, watching a pastor today give interviews to state media attacking another pastor he disagreed with. It would have seemed odd to these people to read letters to the editors of local newspapers from Christians attacking other Christians for publicly going to church during a shutdown. It would have seemed odd to these Hebrews, in my opinion, for them to hear Christians here in the West talk about the government as our protector. Do we not see God as our protector? Isn't he the one who meets our every need and provision? Luke 6 quotes Jesus telling Christians to rejoice when people hate us. These Hebrews are being told why we rejoice when at odds with the world around us. We have a better life. We have lasting possessions in heaven. Our earthly goods may be plundered and taken away from us. We may be disliked by our neighbors, but we are far, have a far greater possession promised by Jesus himself. And that resurrected Jesus is the proof that it's real. If the world hates us and the media is mocking us, frankly, we're doing something right. The Bible passage today tells us to be confident. Verse 35 tells us not to throw away our confidence. We are told to remember the courage and the confidence that we have as believers. The Coptic Christians singing in defiance of persecution, I would argue, are confident. Losing what we tend to cling to in this life makes us appreciate even more the possessions to come for eternity. If the Hebrews could cheerfully lose so much in the early days while seeing Jesus move in their lives, the writer is telling them, why would you give up now? After everything you've been through, why would you give up now? Remember, he says, 
your bold and fearless loyalty to Jesus Christ. Remember the confidence that you felt to persevere because you knew that Jesus stood side by side with you as you stood your ground. Confidently feeling like winners with our reward in hand, we need to remember that our ultimate reward is not for this day, but for a future one. We need to be patient. Perseverance requires patience. If our reward is not for today, but speaks of the future, then we need to be patient. When the early Christians went through periods of persecution and had their goods plundered, there was often a period when the persecution was over and they were impatient. They were anxious about what next? There were 10 persecutions in a row. They're almost waiting for the next one. There was a tendency with some to start to give up. Why hasn't Jesus returned? Some of them asked. We've been through so much. Why isn't he coming back? Why isn't he here? Why do we keep going through these tough times? This was not the time to give up, but by faith to patiently walk the narrow path. The writer is making it clear it is a blessed thing to be found in the path of God's will. It may not be comfortable or easy. In fact, it may be filled with difficulty. But it is the way of blessing. And they were being told that the blessing would be their reward for patient perseverance. The return of Jesus is imminent. And we are to be found in the master's work. And we are to be patient, diligent, persistent, and persevering. Jesus will return when that time, known only to God, arrives. Verse 36 begins a section of Old Testament language referencing the promise of a Messiah and a passage from Habakkuk, which these Hebrews would have known well. But the good news is the Messiah had already come. So, so we are looking for his return. The Hebrews are being reminded that people saved by faith are known as people who live by faith. But I'll conclude. The Hebrews had been through a lot. They had persevered. They were united in looking forward to a promise and forgetting past hurts. The writer of this letter is assuring them that Jesus is coming. He has struck a balance between challenging exhortation and warnings with a good dose of encouragement. If Jesus can be seen as supreme over all things, then there should be no doubt about his return. He that can come will come. In just a little while, he returns. The Bible is clear. Those who have embraced Jesus Christ as their Savior are forever saved. Once saved, always saved. So then why, at the end, is there a reference to people falling away? The writer is pointing out the difference between the true followers of Jesus and those along for the ride. Some were never part of the we. We who live by faith know that some in the church when faced with persecution had slipped back to the road to perdition. The persecution actually brought believers closer to Jesus and exposed the ones who were never truly saved. Perseverance to some had become a works type of salvation. And some today are actually still being taught that and believe it. Well, it's wrong. It is discernible by reading this last verse in this section of Hebrews where the writer warns us not to be like those people who really do not know the Lord, and they are fearful. They are the first to stumble when faced with difficulty and persecution. They are trying to please God by pursuing good deeds instead of merely clinging 
to his cross. Believers who live by faith do not need to fear such an end because we are born again and we are saved. The second coming is the promise that Jesus is coming to take us home and to reward us for being a people who were faithful while we waited patiently for his return. We can persevere as Christians. The Christians in Cairo are proving it. We can persevere as Christians when we keep our eyes on the prize. When we are united as believers looking for the Lord's return, we can accomplish the miraculous. We are able to persevere and overcome all difficulties. We are able to stand our ground. We are encouraged. We can do all things because we see Jesus as supreme over all of creation, all of all the created universe, which is the core lesson that the Hebrew writer wants us to grasp. Those of us who are born again, well, we know Jesus personally, and we have no fear for whatever comes at us in this world. We are encouraged and persevere because we have hope and a purpose found only in Jesus Christ who rules over everything. John's Gospel in chapter 5, 24 says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. We are encouraged as Christians by such words. We can persevere because we are no longer born to die. We are born again to eternal life. Do we all feel that new life right now? Do we feel born again, changed, and able to persevere because of the new creation that we have become? If not, that decision is easy to make and can be made today. Matter of fact, it can be made right now. I would challenge this. Why would you wait? Because you see, this is the high point that the Hebrews are being told to remember. That high point when you first believed, when you gave your life to Christ, when you became born again. The Hebrews are being told, remember that high point. The Ephesians are told, remember the height that you had fallen from. What was that height? Was the moment they embraced Jesus as their Savior. And we, by default, are being told to remember the same thing. In 1955, after experiencing the horror of the Korean War, Jim Hill, not particularly famous for much of anything, but he wrote this, wrote a song that has been labeled the Christian Anthem for Encouragement to Persevere. And he wrote the song called, What a Day That Will Be. There's coming a day when no heartaches shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and he leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Amen. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be encouraged, to be challenged, 
to be given your word in an insightful way that is desiring of us great things. We pray as we embrace the supremacy of Jesus Christ, we can do those great things. We can do the miraculous. We pray for unity. We pray for wounds to be healed. We pray for us to be able to move forward in a great way. And we ask for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.